Okay, after Stephen wasted all that time telling us about the opportunity to work in the 301 wing, we have found out it's at Wednesday at 5. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> uh, two medical updates. Next, um, Rose and I were in uh, Baptist Floyd uh, this time last Sunday, and Rose uh, left the hospital at, we left about seven that evening. Um, no heart issues of any kind. Uh, it probably is a, a gallbladder thing, or maybe uh, an irritation from too much ibuprofen or something, but she has an appointment with her NP on Friday, and we'll find out uh, what is the next step. Rose is right now over in the toddler and nursery room, and she'll be in this uh, room for uh, service the second hour. Chris's mom, Ann, uh, had her first stroke back in 2020, and uh, this week, she uh, was moved from the nursing home to the hospital because she had a UTI, aspirational pneumonia, and she was on oxygen 100%, was not doing well. So went to the hospital, she went home a couple of days, excuse me, went to the nursing home a couple of days ago, and I texted Chris and asked him this morning, what sort of update that he would like me to give you about his mom. And he said uh, she was released back to the nursing home under hospice care. Uh, she's taking hourly meds for comfort, not much response of any kind. So um, if you would bow your heads and uh, you go ahead and start your prayer for Chris's mom Chris's dad, whose name is Chris, uh, Chris's sister, whose name is Jessica, and the family, if you would go ahead and pray for them. Father, sometimes things in this life just stink. And we might momentarily wonder where you have gone. But when we think clearly, we know that you are there. I pray, Father, for um, your spirit to be moving in Anne's life, Chris, the husband, dad, Chris and Jessica and the rest of the family and that you bring comfort at this time and that you guide through the entire thing. We pray for wisdom and for comfort and for strength. And we thank you for watching, being there and being involved. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to share with you a true story. It's not a true story by me, but it's a true story nonetheless. At the stroke of 10 on Saturday night, I received a phone call from Sean, then 15, 
to tell us he was stuck at his friend Dan's house because Dan, who was going to bring him home, was working on his car. Be sure and tell Dad I called, he said. I offered to pick Sean up, but Sean said that Dan would bring him home as soon as the car was running. Be sure and tell Dad I called, he repeated. Okay. Carl, the dad, had gone to bed but was awake, and when I gave him the message, he startled me with his quiet, he's lying. No, no, he told me where he is. No, he's lying. When the phone rang, I knew it would be Sean, and he would lie. Frustrated, I said, well, why didn't you answer the phone then? But he didn't say anything. Oh, Carl, I'm sure you're wrong. If it will help you sleep, I'll drive over and to dance and get him. His look told me to go if I wanted, but Sean wouldn't be there. His gift of discernment could be disconcerting at times. Annoyed that my quiet evening was being interrupted, I grabbed the keys and headed for Dan's. Sadly, Carl was right. The house and garage were dark with no sign of anyone working on a car. Driving home, I begged God to keep Carl from confronting Sean in a way that would aggravate Sean's growing teenage defensiveness. Carl had every reason to be upset, but I could just see anger in Carl making Sean angry in return, rushing them to an impasse. Please, God, give Carl wisdom and self-control and help Sean to give up any unjustified defense. Pulling into our driveway, I saw Carl dressed and sitting on the front steps, waiting. There was little I could say. Carl said he was going to stay where he was to see who actually brought Sean home. I went inside, my stomach in turmoil. The living room was peaceful, quiet. I sat to wait next to a small pile of gifts on the love seat. They were gifts from Shannon and Sean for Carl. Tomorrow was Father's Day. Shannon, 18, arrived home around 11 o'clock, got the gist of what was happening from her dad before coming in to talk to me. Mom, I know you, and you will blame yourself for this. This is not your fault. Kids don't set out trying to hurt their parents. They just do stupid things without even thinking about their parents. So don't be blaming yourself. I had not begun my usual guilt trip yet, but Shannon knew that would be coming. Okay, I said, taking her admonition to heart. We settled into wait for the whatever that was coming. Finally, after midnight, we heard a car stop outside. Shannon had her ear to the door, but could hear nothing except indistinguishable voices. And then we heard Carl and Sean approach the door. Shannon hurried to join me on the other end of the couch, trying to look nonchalant. I watched Carl sit down next to the stacked gifts on the love seat and solemnly announce, Sean has something to say. 
Sean, standing with bowed head, said, I lied about where I was. I was with Gil and his girlfriend, I'm sorry. Gil was a college-age friend we thought we could trust. Tell them the rest, Carl said. Sean whispers, eyes lowered, I had a beer. Having finally confessed all, Sean fell into a miserable heap in a corner rocker. Having a beer may not seem like a big deal, but in our house, for a 15-year-old, it was a big deal, and Sean knew it. Shan and I were expecting Carl, her dad, to lower the bloom in some way, but no one said a word. There seemed nothing more to say since Sean had admitted his crime right up front and was obviously remorseful. I struggled to keep from grinning because I was thrilled with the lack of conflict and blame. My prayer was being answered. Carl stood, sweeping his hands to the gifts, saying quietly, I, I, I can't take these. I, I failed as a father since you thought you had to lie. I, I don't know what I'll do tomorrow, maybe go for a long drive and figure out what I did wrong, but I, I can't celebrate Father's Day. Sean's head shot up. It wasn't you, it was me, he sobbed. It wasn't you, it wasn't you, it was me. Bending over again, head in his hands, he cried convulsively. It wasn't you, it was me. Carl fought to control his tears and grief over Sean's weakness when tempted. His mouth trembled as he lost the battle. Seeing their tears, Shannon began to cry. I hope you can see sin doesn't hurt just you, Carl said as he stood up. Turning to look at each of us in turn, he said, it hurts all of us. You're crying, I'm crying, Shannon's crying, your mother's crying. On the inside, as he noticed my dry eyes, I can't cry, I said to myself, because I'm too happy with what is happening here. Sean has sinned, but is truly repentant. He's not crying because he got caught. He's crying because he knows he hurt his dad and he's grieving. Sean has no defensiveness, none whatsoever. And Carl has humbly, meekly chosen to share Sean's shame with him, carrying part of the blame instead of angrily rebuking him. Carl had been given wisdom and self-control. Not knowing what else to say, Carl put his hand on Sean's heaving shoulder, squeezed it, and went off to bed. Sean couldn't stop crying, so he went to his room and closed the door. Shannon and I went to the kitchen table. We could hear Sean in his room, still sobbing as though his heart were broken. Shannon, full of compassion, asked if she could try to comfort him. Of course, I told her, go ahead. He was mourning over his sin, so we felt free, even eager to comfort him. Shannon tried, but soon came back saying that he would not be comforted. Then we heard the front door 
Sean was outside walking up the street. I ran after him, put my arms around him and said, it's all right, Sean, it's okay, we love you. Stiff, unable to receive my affection, he looked at me in the eye pathetically and said, I've got to walk, Mom, I've just got to walk. Okay, but come home soon. No, we love you. Just as I was going into the house, Carl was coming out dressed again. Honey, I said, he says he needs to walk. He'll be okay, let him go. I will, but I want to be sure he's safe. So as Sean strode around the block, walking off the tension and grief and shame, his father followed in the shadows, lovingly keeping watch. Finally, we were each in bed behind our closed doors. Carl whispered, what, what shall I do about the morning now? I don't know, everything's okay, isn't it? We sighed, unsure if we had heard or seen the final stroke, but eventually we fell asleep. In the morning, there was a note for us from Sean slid under our door. I'm sorry I hurt you. Please forgive me. We went to church, had dinner, opened gifts, spoke gently to each other all day, feeling like we had inherited the earth. I think the Heavenly Father celebrated that Father's Day. God's great grace, His unearned and undeserved favor and blessing. Like Carl the dad toward his son Sean, God's great grace is when God doesn't yell at us even though we deserve it. God's great grace is when God hurts with us when we do wrong things. God's great grace is when God watches over and protects us and we haven't got a clue that he's doing it. God's great grace is when God forgives us even though we have done absolutely nothing to deserve that forgiveness. Would you bow your head please for just a moment? And if you are willing to pray this prayer, then this is the prayer I would encourage you to pray. God, open my eyes to your great grace for me. If you will, pray that now. Father, may we know, may we feel, may we comprehend your great grace. 
for each and every one of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are several scriptures, and they will be on the screen. Most of them will be in a different version than you likely have, but you are welcome to follow along as you will. The first scripture is from Luke 19, beginning with verse number one. Luke 19, verse one. Jesus was going through the city of Jericho. A man was there named Zacchaeus, who was a very important tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because he was too short to see above the crowd. He ran ahead to a place where Jesus would come and he climbed a sycamore tree so he could see him. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus came down quickly and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to complain, Jesus is staying with a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, I will give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone, I will pay back four times more. Jesus said to him, salvation has come to this house today because this man also belongs to the family of Abraham. The son of man came to find lost people and save them. God's great grace. Jesus is actively looking to save you and me and not actively looking to condemn us, but to save us. Ephesians chapter two, beginning with verse one. You were living in your sins and lawless ways, but in fact, you were dead. You used to live as sinners when you followed the ways of this world. You served the one who rules over the spiritual forces of evil. He is a spirit who is now at work in those who don't obey God. At one time we all lived among them. Our desires were controlled by sin. We tried to satisfy what they, our desires, wanted us to do. We followed our desires and thoughts. God was angry with us like he was with everyone else. That's because of the kind of people we all were. But God loves us deeply. He is full of mercy. So he gave us new life because of what Christ has done. He gave us life even when we were dead in sin, God's grace has saved you. God raised us up with Christ. He has seated us with him in his heavenly kingdom. That's because we belong 
to Christ Jesus. He has done it to show the riches of his grace for all time to come. His grace can't be compared with anything else. He has shown it by being kind to us. He was kind to us because of what Christ Jesus has done. God's grace has saved you because of your faith in Christ. Your salvation doesn't come from anything you do. It is God's gift. It is not based on anything you have done. No one can brag about earning it. God's grace, forgiveness, kindness, and salvation are not ours because of anything we can do or anything we have done. Those priceless commodities, grace, forgiveness, kindness, and salvation are God's gift to us because of what Jesus has already done. Romans chapter 3, beginning with verse 10, reading three verses and skipping to verse 20. Romans chapter 3. As the scriptures say, no one is good. No one in all the world is innocent. No one has ever really followed God's path or even truly wanted to. Everyone has turned away. All have gone wrong. No one anywhere has kept on doing what is right. Not one. Now do you see it? No one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what the law commands. For the more we know of God's laws, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying them. His laws serve only to make us see that we are sinners. But now, God has shown us a different way to heaven. Not by being good enough and trying to keep his laws, but by a new way, though not really new, for the scriptures told about it long ago. Now God says he will accept and acquit us, declare us not guilty if we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in the same way by coming to Christ, no matter who we are or what we have been like. Yes, all have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious ideal. Yet, now God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus Christ, who in his kindness freely takes away our sin. 
Every one of us has fallen short of God's standard. Any one of us can receive forgiveness from God.
you see? At just the right time. When we were still powerless, like Rick, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Would you bow your head, please? With God's great grace, there can be only one possible thing preventing you from experiencing God's grace and forgiveness today. What is that one thing that could prevent you from experiencing God's grace? That would be your refusal to accept it. You are not good enough to make it on your own. You are not so bad that God won't forgive you. But for whatever reason, you can refuse to accept God's grace and forgiveness. You and I may not understand it all, but the truth is this, we desperately need God. Without God's grace in our lives every moment of every day, we cannot live. We are absolutely lost without God's grace. As we sing in just a moment, if you need forgiveness, come. As we sing in just a moment, if you have already experienced God's forgiveness and grace, but want to pray or have someone to pray with you, come. If you need to rededicate yourself to God and accept His grace anew, you may want to come up front also. If you have questions, come, and someone will listen to you and will speak with you about your next move with God. If you are watching online, whatever your need, contact us through the email or phone number that you see there. Before I pray in about half a minute, you go ahead and talk to God about how you and He are doing with His good, great grace.
are most gracious and kind and forgiving Heavenly Father. My request is that everyone in this room, each person in this room will not leave this room without doing what you, your spirit is leading them to do right now. That they will not let anything deter them from doing what you are guiding them to do. I pray for those who are watching us online that they will not be distracted from doing what you are guiding them to do. That they also will listen to your Spirit's voice and be obedient to your Spirit. Thank you, God, for your great grace. May we realize that however far we have been from you, you are there to welcome us or to welcome us back. That you can and will forgive any sin when we come to you. Thank you for loving us. We pray in Jesus' name.